0: NATO allies have met in Brussels. President Trump visits America's longtime ally in Great Britain and meets with America's longtime rival, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Trade wars and tariff battles continue while bad actors, dictators, and terrorists threaten world peace. For leaders today, finding allies and building alliances has never been more vital. We explore this topic with Rich McKeon, co-author of the book aptly titled Finding Allies, Building Alliances, on this week's edition of Therefore What? Therefore What is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What. It is a pleasure to be joined today by Rich McKeon. Rich uh, was longtime uh, chief of staff to former governor and HHS Secretary Mike Levitt, also the co-founder and chairman of Levitt Partners. Uh, great thinker. Uh, Rich, thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks. So as we look at this whole concept around allies and alliances, uh, I, I really believe this is the most important leadership trait for the 21st century. Tell me, where did you and Governor Levitt start with this as a, as a concept, and, and why do you think it's so Critical for leaders today.
1: You know, this is, it's interesting because when Governor Levitt was governor, we began to analyze ways that you could accelerate progress. And one of the places that occurred was with the Grand Canyon Visibility Trust. It was a really interesting process where the federal government came in and said, We're going to clean up the air over the Grand Canyon. And uh, Governor her, uh and a number of people surrounding that, the counties, the tribes, the states around the Grand Canyon said, Well, wait a minute, maybe we can do this. And uh, the federal government gave a five year moratorium to. the the states, and Governor Levitt inherited the chairmanship of it. And it was interesting because we began to analyze from the standpoint of what happened. Four years went by with everybody kind of thumping the tub on their own behalf, advocating. It was a very traditional kind of, we need this, we need this deal. And somebody raised their hand at the fourth year and said, you know, we haven't accomplished very much. And the fact (laughs) of the matter is, um, in one more year, they're going to come tell us what to do. And it Mm -hmm. changed the dialogue. And it changed it like a mediation does often, where there's an outbreak of rationality. (laughs) and a discussion that's a conspiracy that is of goodwill. And all of a sudden, people began to frame up a a way to to solve this problem that was locally generated. And it became a real focal point for our discussions is where are their capacities to accelerate progress and to do this without the litigation process and the like. And so we followed it through at EPA, HHS, and in our private practice. We have uh, kind of cataloged and and dealt with alliances, a very important way to deal with complex uh, problem-solving.
0: Fantastic. I think it's so interesting and, and it's so critical in the, the complex world that we live in today that people who are sometimes your competitors uh, may also need to be your allies at some point or be part of an alliance to get something else done. Can you give us an example of that? Sure. You know, this is really fascinating. when you look
1: at the world. The world is kind of intuitively organizing itself in networks. And it, I think it stems from the difference between a mainframe computer model and a network computer model and the power mm-hmm. that occurs as a consequence of that. But you see places like Air lines that have coalesced themselves around uh sky clubs and the like to uh, to to increase the network that they have to increase the capacity for for interaction and the like one really interesting one is atms um atms started out as individual bank operations right. and each you may remember seeing this down at an airport or something we see 15 atms and and they'd all be stretched out, you got to find the one that you used and, and the servicing capacity for that and the maintenance capacity was just overwhelming it was it was a cost plus instead of a cost saver. And so they began to organize. They had a common pain, basically, yeah. and that was, we can't afford to do this. And they they began to recognize it in a single component that they shared. Even competitors could gain advantage financially, and they could uh, make this a much more efficient operation. And so driven by this pain of financial cost, they began to organize themselves into this network that, that produced the ATM that we know today.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. We often don't really think in, in those Terms. Uh, I often use the example of the the NBA, uh, and you've got a an alliance of owners that come together to form a league. Uh, and on most nights, you know, Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics want to take out Magic Johnson and the and the Lakers uh, any way they can. Uh, but then those owners also have, have to get together for collective bargaining agreements, uh, licensing of of uh, swag and and hats and jerseys, uh, or to negotiate television rights. And so while they're fierce competitors, most of the time they also have this very unique alliance and they've and they've
1: created a, a capacity for a commissioner to have authority so they, mm. they've given up some of their own autonomy to a commissioner in baseball basketball football you name it and they uh, they, they, they are willing to do that to create a sense of unity that they all benefit
0: from interesting uh, and I think there's a, a really interesting uh, political play here uh, we, we look at uh, we were talking earlier about this uh, idea of dealing with North Korea and the North Korean threat uh, and so that's a a, a real common pain that I think is felt around the world. What do you do with a, a nuclear North Korea? And the key to to solving or dealing with the North Korea issue comes down to a very interesting alliance, where you have Russia, China, and the United States, who are being fiercely competitive when it comes to to trade issues, uh, tariffs, uh, and all kinds of other geopolitical things. But yet they are they are the key alliance when it comes to dealing with that common pain uh, of what's happening on the Korean Peninsula.
1: And yeah, what you what you begin to. Argue articulate, boy, is really an interesting component that brings people together, and that is this idea of common pain. The, the notion that uh, people look at things from an opportunity standpoint is one thing, but it is it is easier to, to bring groups together when there's a pain that you can see that's visible, that's visceral, and can that you can feel sufficiently to know that you're better off with, with uh, the construction of an alliance. And, and I agree with you there, and there are other minor players who, in that same region, are threatened by North Korea and who look for the outcome, but but you begin to look at the drivers and the, the, the capacity for this common pain to bring them together at some point in time to begin to deal with this uniformly and in a
0: way that, that really gets progress that could be done in no other way. So, so we've talked about this idea of common pain, bringing unique people to the table uh, to deal with specific issues. Again, sometimes it's, it's bringing uh, strange bedfellows, so to speak, uh, to, the, to the table to, to address things. You also raised this idea uh, about leadership and that how someone has, has to lead out, even if it requires everyone else to maybe give up a little power, uh, but that's also critical to, to really functioning in this allies and alliance model.
1: Yeah, one of the things we found is that you that you have to have both a convener who is of sufficient stature to bring people together, and certainly presidents of uh, Russia and China and, or, or premiers of China and the president of the United States have the capacity to convene this kind of thing. If Bill Gates wants to convene a group of people on malaria, they're going to show up. Uh, and and you see this happen at the local level where uh, PTA presidents are, have the capacity by virtue of their status to bring people together in a school community. Uh, So problems can be solved at lots of different levels if the right person convenes a group, has a vision to say, are you feeling the same common pain that I am? And and that's really what drives a convener to bring people together.
0: I also think it's really fascinating. One of of the other elements that you and Governor Levitt talk about in the book is this representatives of substance. So you have to have the leader, but then you've also got to have these people of substance who can carry it out. I, I sort of look at it as the the diplomats, uh, if you look at it in geopolitical terms, uh, you may have the presidents of the nations having the photo op and the press conference and the, the private one-on-one meeting. But if anything's ever going to really produce results, it's going to be on the backs of some really hardworking diplomats who are going to do the, the, the hard work and heavy lifting of getting it done.
1: Yeah. And this is this really in an alliance, depending on whether it's local or national or international, has to do with people who have the ability to make decisions. And, you know, it's interesting that over the course of time, we've begun to analyze these people in terms of their effectiveness. And, and, and we characterize one part of this as people who have collaborative IQ. Um, and and it is it, these are people who are em- empathetic to and can have the capacity to understand and listen. And you know, as we've configured these alliances, we've, we've recognized that they are best done when there's a multi-sector group around the table, that the whole group around the table to solve a problem can be there. It enhances their voice. It enhances the strength of their position. And it actually solves a problem instead of creates a situation. Situ- System of advocacy, which is what we've lived with so much, is um, you know, constitutional government is great, but fifty percent plus one. I think everyone could see there are times when it polarizes, and we have lived through that for the last whatever period of yeah. de- decades of time. <laughs> and 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 I think people are beginning to see that you have to get full spectrum around the table of these representatives uh, to to solve problems.
0: Yeah, and in order to do that, it it really is. I think one of the things that we've lost in this uh, collaborative spirit is that when we whenever we talk Talk about collaboration or doing things by consensus, we, we think that means we have to have 100% agreement. And and consensus is not about 100% agreement, it's about 100% support once the decision has been made in terms of execution. But often we lose that if we don't go through this process properly.
1: You know, you, you point out a really important factor, I think, and that is alliances should be driven by basic consensus decision making. And what happens in a, the dynamic of this is entirely different than what happens in a legislative body or one that's governed by majority vote because instead of having people try to advocate their position strongly and to hold cards back and to uh, this is like trial law, right. which I participated in a lot. And you know, you're trying to get your position and, and negate the other. But in, in this consensus notion, what happens is people actually begin to listen. Every voice in the room also all of a sudden becomes important, and and the capacity to start phrases with such things as you now, what, what if we tried this or yeah. how. About this, or have we considered this become the prelude to a lot of conversations that change dramatically the nature of what you're the, the discussion itself?
0: It does. You know, frame, framing things in the form of a question as opposed to a political positioning statement uh, I, I think makes all the difference in terms of collaboration. Uh, we're in the, the middle of all kinds of hearings uh, going on on Capitol Hill. We'll have a big hearing for the next Supreme Court uh, Justice nominee, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, as we get into the fall. Uh, we've got House hearings going on uh, around uh, investigations in the FBI and some of the players there. And it it seems to me that we've we've sort of lost that, that uh, in order for a a hearing to be a hearing, there actually has to be a little bit of listening going (laughs) on. And you see so many members of Congress that are just bloviating and making their political points. As you said, it's all posturing, holding some cards back and and blasting others. Uh, But that doesn't get us to the kind of collaboration that's really going to solve any of our issues.
1: But uh, don't you think that, therefore, has to do with the setting itself. In other words, we have in a polarized setting created a mechanism where we're going to we're going to approve a Supreme Court justice, and it becomes a very partisan issue. I mean, you can see the lines going out and yeah. the fear mongering that's going on about this discussion. And uh, but 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 when you change the table and you set it differently, mm. and you create people who want to be there because of a common pain, they're they're trying to solve in other words, not advocating for this position or this person, but we're going to solve a problem. It changes it. It does change the nature of the conversation. It makes it it makes it different. It makes it more robust, and it, and it changes it to problem solving as opposed to advocation. Yeah,
0: I, I, I love the way that you and, and Governor Levitt uh, get to this whole idea of, of the charter of, of really coming together around. Well, what is the problem to be solved, or what is it that we want to to have this convening really be all about? Yeah, you
1: know, um, this has turned out to be really important, and, and it's a really there, there have been some interesting moments as a consequence of this. So, uh, but but your reference a written document that sets out the ground rules and that sets out with clarity the purpose for this. Uh, you know, so many groups get together and, and they, they talk theoretically but are unable to move towards action. And it's often because they can't define their purpose. And if they can and they can record it, put it in writing, then they uh, it, it changes the nature of that conversation and it, it grounds them in what they're going to do. Uh, there was a really interesting story. So when we were at the EPA, we conducted some uh, local collaboration. Collaborations of national significance, and one of them surrounded the Great Lakes. And um, it turned out there were 154, I think, funding agencies from the national government going into various projects on the Great Lakes, and they weren't coordinated and they were very disparate. And this is a story you could tell about federal spending in lots of ways right. in, in lots of places. But so we just we we got authorization to move forward in the form of an executive order from the president to create this this local uh, collaboration, and we got all of the players around it. And I remember that Mayor Dale. Was standing next to Mike Levitt as they went in to sign the charter, and there literally were flags and bagpipes, (laughs) kind of introducing this moment. And I remember that uh, Governor Levitt reported, Secretary Levitt at the time said that Mayor Daley looked at him and said, "This is a big deal, isn't it?" There's the the formality of creating this changed it from a from a theoretical discussion to an actual problem solving exercise, and you know you're running through a series of elements that over the course of time we've thought were important to the development of alliances, and um, and if you have them, they, they seem to work pretty well, and if you are absent any of them, you you struggle a bit, and that's been our experience, and you know, it's not an academic book, as you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's a book of stories of, of circumstances that have driven us, but the academicians have have looked at it, and I think been okay with the way that we framed it, and with the concepts that are there.
0: Yeah, the, the concepts are so strong, and, and as you continue to, to move through that process, uh, the, the charter component to me is the, is the great focusing element. Exactly. It's focus always precedes success. But I love where you went next because it's one that I think in organizations and groups, and again, whether it's a business, whether it's a community, whether it's a government, it, it's all the same. And that's this concept of the, the northbound train. Tell us about that. Well, you
1: know, you um, you referenced the NATO. And and NATO started out in the 1940s in the post-war era with, I think, 10 or 12 members initially. And there, they had a, a, a motivation for common defense. And, um, and over the course of time, it grew to over over 25 or 30 uh, members. What happened over the course of time was the value that was seen there was created and people wanted to be part of this protective Mm. alliance. And that happens as you develop. If you get an alliance going that begins to solve a problem, it's remarkable how the private sector begins to say, this might be the place that this problem gets solved and we better be on that train and our voice ought to be heard and part of it. And that's really what this is about. It's about trying to create a sufficient and momentum that demonstrates the capacity to solve this problem with this group of people. Uh, there, there are some that you've had to create subsets of, of uh, groups because you, you can't accommodate as many people right. as like to be there. But but you can begin to frame up advisory groups and the like around them as well.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting whether it's whether it's a you know a, a great presidential leader. I think Reagan had this feeling of northbound train that everybody wanted to get on. Kennedy, when he said we're 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 going to put a man on the moon, uh, and, and the whole country said, I got to get on that train. Uh, But you also see it at the local level. It's that, uh, as you mentioned, Rich, it's that PTA president who just has this vision of what this school is going to be about. Uh, And then people don't want to miss out. (laughs) Some people want to take advantage of the opportunity. uh, But it creates this incredible pull mechanism. So often we're we're trying to push water uphill as we try to make change or improvement in organizations or communities. Uh, But this northbound train creates such a natural pull. Uh, I think it's another one of the real critical leadership skills for the 21st century.
1: It's really, uh, I, I think you pinpoint a really important area, and that is you know, if you can't create for your entity the capacity for people to be interested in it, then, and, and one of the great things about collaboration and alliance work is if they aren't working, people go away. Yeah. And, you know, it's a voluntary kind of participation in a way, You and and, and, and if they see results and see action, they're there, they'll commit the resources. If they aren't seeing things happen, I go, you yeah, know, this isn't a place for this to happen. And you can get ahead of the game, too. You can be way ahead of things and have a great vision but there's not enough common pain to make it work. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of nuances to the
0: creation of these alliances. Wonderful. Well, the, again, the book is "Finding Allies: Building Alliances." We're pleased to be joined today by Rich McKee. And Rich, thanks so much for your insight. Thanks for being with us on Therefore What. Therefore What. So what does allies and alliances mean to all of us? How do we really apply this in the things that we're doing day to day? So often we think that allies, alliances, solving problems is is something that we leave to the politicians or we leave to the community leaders or to the business leaders, but it's really something that all of us should be engaged in every day. And whether it's dealing with the local community park or making our neighborhoods a little better or improving the schools where our children go to or, or taking on a cause like homelessness or dealing with refugees, there are opportunities every day to apply the principles of allies and alliances. And the first thing is to recognize that someone who may be one of your competitors may be a critical ally for you uh, in a particular area. Uh, I, I love, as we talked with Rich today, that uh, you know he uses these ideas of, of airlines and, and banks and the, the NBA we talked about, uh, and even uh, geopolitical forces. Uh, it's all coming together. It's people who may be competitors also recognizing there's a a common good or a common pain or a p- common problem that needs to be solved that we can engage in together and come up with a little bit better solution. And so I want to just tick through some of the things that we hit with Rich and maybe some practical applications for what each of us can do starting today. So we we talked about common pain, recognizing what is the issue, what is the problem. We we have to start there. Then we have to look for who are the potential allies, what are the potential alliances that we can forge and form uh, in order to address problems in a significant way. Then we have to to start getting focused. And we have to get some sort of official charter or focusing document that will really force us to go beyond just talking about a problem or what I often do, just complain about the problem and actually start solving the problem. Focus always precedes success, especially when it comes to problem solving. And we can talk about what we don't like or what we're frustrated with till the cows come home. But until we focus it and say, here's the problem to be solved, here's what we need to work on together, uh, nothing is really going to happen. We also have to make make sure that we recognized. I I love this concept that uh, Rich and and Governor Leavitt often use of the the northbound train, uh, of this idea that when people sense there's movement, when people sense there's a story that they want to be part of, that's when amazing things happen. That's when communities absolutely transform. That's when businesses just rocket forward in significant ways. It's when the nation comes together is is when we're motivated by that kind of northbound train uh, that gives us impetus uh, and and really pulls us to, to get engaged, fully engaged, not just at the margins, not just talking about it, but actually doing things to make it happen. Uh, it, it's a great book, Finding Allies, Building Alliances. Uh, it was interesting as we were talking to Rich and with all of the things going on in the world today, there are so many applications to this on a big scale and on a very personal scale. But we have to understand the, the principles. So I, I commend the book, Finding Allies, Building Alliances by Rich McKeon and, and former Governor Mike Lovett it's really something for all of us to think about ponder uh, there's a lot of therefore what's in there that we can start applying even within our own families and our own neighborhoods and our communities and the country as a whole and just because someone may be your competitor uh, don't miss out on an, an extraordinary opportunity by building an alliance something that that may matter even more and watch for it as you watch things play out on the national stage look at what does that mean and, and why does that work uh, one of the things that I think we've seen with with President Trump is is that he is a transactional leader. And many people really bristle at that for because for so long our politics have been about relationships. And he's sort of unraveled all of that in a very disruptive way. But he's also created space for more alliances to move forward. He has done deals with Nancy Pelosi and and Chuck Schumer. And he's also had real loggerheads <laughs> knock down drag out arguments with them. And he's done the same thing with Republicans. He's done the same thing with many of our international allies. You look at the the challenges that he set forth to NATO. And a lot of people were not comfortable with that. But yet it's an alliance that has served the world well in terms of peace, but everyone's got to do their part. And I'm sure if people would have asked, well, if the the net result of the summit was that everyone decided to be a little more committed to the alliance and invest a little more in terms of time and resource and energy, I think everybody would have said, yep, that's a good result. Uh, And so we have lots of opportunities like that to to deal with things, but it, it forces all of us to step outside of the purely political space and simply ask the question, is this about allies, longtime allies like the UK? Is this about alliances like NATO or the kind of alliances that we're going to need to deal with global terrorism and other challenges? It, it's all about finding that space and looking at things through a slightly different lens. So take a different look. Look for some allies, build some alliances, and we'll all be a little better off. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening today and be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on News com forward slash podcast and subscribe to our newsletter don't miss an episode of therefore we